Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Good morning, everyone. Wow, let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. What an incredible time of worship this morning. I don't know about you, but I was just touched so deeply this morning of some of the powerful words in those songs. I especially was um, touched with that song singing hallelujah, all I have is a hallelujah. And I felt like, oh, I just want us to say hallelujah as a church. Can we do that? Hallelujah. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then that last song that the team led us in, I Speak Jesus. There's something about confessing the name of Jesus, isn't there? The name of Jesus at every knee would bow down and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee will bow before him. That's what I believe. And, and I just believe that as we speak the name of Jesus, we're, we're putting out the name of Jesus over our church, over our family. And, you know, we're going to talk about living in the light. We're beginning a new series little three-week series, very quick one leading up to school holidays. And I just thought it was really appropriate to call it Living in the Light because on Monday nights we're taking around 30 to 35 people through a course at the moment called The Bondage Breaker. And, of course, we know Jesus is the bondage breaker. And part of going through that and releasing things and seeing the, the love of God in our life fulfilled in that area of Jesus taking over and surrendering fully to him is this idea of living in the light on a day-by-day basis. So we're going to have a look at that over these next few weeks. I want to begin with the scripture in 1 Peter 2.9. And um, I'll get this up on the screen. Here we go. Oh, did I press the wrong one? We'll get us into the message. Ah, here we go. Stepping into the light. Um, let's read this together, everyone. For you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. There's some other passages in, in John 8. Um, Jesus was speaking to the people and he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have a light of life. And in John 9, 5, Jesus was referring to himself when he says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then in 1 John 1, 5 to 9, it says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not, and we lie, where am I, and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. What does it mean to walk in the light? We hear that term so often in the church and and Jesus again, he says these words. So today is the first part of this little three-week series of walking in the light and I've just called it stepping into the light today, stepping into the light. Today some of my talk might be a little bit in your face. Is that okay with everyone? A little bit maybe from my hit the heart but in a good way. Is that okay? 
because I believe God will speak to you. I'm just warning you up front before I begin. It might get a little bit uncomfortable in the room at at times, but I think that's a good thing. I want to talk about grace today. I want to talk, it's so amazing, God's grace, and how it's such a free gift from God, but it's not a cheap gift. It's free, but it's not cheap. Does that even make sense? In other words, the gift of grace, it cost God everything to give us this free gift. It's an expensive gift that he's given us. We can't earn it, though. We can't work for it. There's nothing we could do to afford to be able to pay for it because he has freely given it to us. It's just a gift. But it truly is his grace. To receive that gift is going to end up costing us something. In fact, it's going to cost us everything. It's expensive in that sense. It costs us everything because as God's grace comes in and changes our lives, it's causing us to surrender more and more of our life to him. Always for the better, I might say. Grace is something that God has given us without any strings attached. But at the same time, even though there's no strings attached, to truly embrace it, it's going to cost me everything to receive it. Because once you open up that gift, you're going to need to lay it all down to the God of grace. Does that make sense? I want to help us today go a little bit below the surface, not just a scratch on top, but actually get a lot deeper into this. Because what I'm talking about now is at the foundation of your spiritual life, the very foundation. And I believe we need to start with the foundational scripture, I believe, because that makes sure that we've got the right foundation, that you've got the Lord as your foundation. The scripture says in Isaiah 33, 6, it says, He will be the sure foundation for your times. Say, sure foundation. We are in times where there is no sure foundation in this world. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. He says there, he is a rich store of salvation and a rich store of wisdom and a rich store of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. You, Lord, are a sure foundation. I want to ask you today, what foundation are you building your life on this morning? What foundation? I want to have a sure foundation in my life. To know God and to fear him is the key to that, that treasure. So what's your foundation? Are you building your life on Jesus, the rocks, the solid rock of our salvation? How's your relationship with Jesus today? Is your relationship with him as a rock? That when the waves come in and we stand on shifting sands, are you going to get wiped out or are you standing on a rock when the waves come through and try to knock you over? What does it mean to have a personal relationship with Jesus and to experience his grace in this way? Most people struggle to explain grace. Why is it that grace is the hardest word in the English language to to explain, I think, to define it? Because each one of us would rather try and work it out and fix our own problems and fix our own lives than accept God's free gift of grace. We try to earn God's favour in a sense. We try to earn his favour in our lives and not just receive a gift. Every other religion out there has this way that we have to kind of earn our salvation. We have to make our way to heaven. We have to forward and do something to get there. But not with, well, not with Jesus, not with Christianity. It's built on this free gift, but it will cost you everything. 
It's free, but it costs. So I want to take us back and start at the basics today as we start this series because there's a foundation here I want to make sure we all have in place. I want to talk about a problem that we all have and a solution that God has given us. Now, the problem that we all have is that we must be born again. You must be born again. It's not you could be born again. It's you must be born again. The Bible says now that there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. And in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You should not be surprised at my saying that you must be born again. Now, Nick, he was a man who was kind of going through the motions of religion, but he didn't have that inner motivation of God. Nicodemus was a teacher of the law. He was a professor of religion in the temple of Jerusalem. Now, he was a primary teacher of the law. And according to the story in the Bible, it says that he was older in life, which means he was an older man. He's probably got kids and probably got some grandkids even. And he had pretty much done his lot in life and he'd seen a lot. In his relationship with God, Nicodemus was a man who was going through the motions. He knew the law. He was a teacher of the law. But his inner enthusiasm toward God wasn't there anymore. It was not quite right. His relationship with his foundations were not quite right. We've, we've all been in that place, I think. True? And so Jesus shows up in town, and Nicodemus has gone down there to hear Jesus preach in the temple. And Nicodemus sensed that Jesus had something inside of him that he needed, that he wanted, that he no longer had there. Nicodemus was kind of touched by Jesus' message, and he wanted to chat to him. So one night, Nicodemus went to where Jesus was was, uh, staying, around midnight, I think it was, it says, and not wanting his fellow religious friends and professors to know what he was doing, Nicodemus came to Jesus' house and knocked on the door. And Jesus came to the door and says, I know it's late, but my name is Nicodemus and I'm a professor of religious law down at the temple and I'd like to speak to you, Jesus. Nicodemus came into the room and Jesus invited him up to the roof of the house where he was and it was much cooler up there and probably offered him a drink and how can I help you, Nicodemus? Nicodemus said, things aren't quite right inside of me. I sense that you have something, Jesus, that I need. And Jesus had this kind of uncanny way of looking into people's hearts and seeing something of deep. He says, I know that. I know. I know the problem that you're having, Nicodemus. It's not that you're old. It's not that you're tired. It's not that you're worn out. The problem is this. You're no longer close to God. You've drifted away from God. God's no longer living in the center of your heart. You're not centered in in Christ. God is no longer there. Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You need to be born again. Nicodemus says, born again? Ow! You want to get me back in my mother's womb and be born again? That's a strange thing to say and I'm sure a strange thing to hear. I can't be born again. But Jesus says, you don't understand, Nicodemus. 
You need to be born again. You need to have that experience of rebirth in a relationship with God. You need to be born of the water and born of the cleansing water and born of the Spirit, the fire of the Spirit back in you. You need to be born from above. You need to have experience a spiritual rebirth. We don't actually know how the story ended for Nicodemus. Was Nicodemus born anew in the end? Did he experience that rebirth? I don't know, but we do know your story and how it ends. Jesus has this kind of way of taking this ability of looking right into your heart, even today. And he says the same thing to us today as what he would have said back to Nicodemus. You need to be born again, born of the cleansing waters, born of the fire of the Spirit of God. And far too often in life, we kind of drift away from God and our relationship with God suffers and we go through the motions, but we don't have the inner motivation. You can be in a person, maybe you're only 15 or 18, or maybe you're in 25 or 45 or 55 or 65, or it doesn't matter how old you are, you may have drifted away from God and things just aren't quite right inside. Nicodemus is in this room. Do not have to be older like Nicodemus was in 65, for example. Jesus, Nicodemus is here for the 15-year. Those Nicodemuses may be only 15, but Jesus is here for the 15-year-old. Jesus is here for the 35-year-old. Jesus is here for the 85-year-old. You, you start to have, to have the habits. Maybe you start to have these spiritual habits in your life, but they're actually not really touching your heart with faith. You, you start to have beliefs, but you're not really walking in the spirit. You go through these rituals, maybe even just coming to church week by week by week, but you don't really have the real thing going on inside. You're going through patterns in your life over and over again, but you're not really walking in the power of that, of that faith. And if you've ever come to that time in your life when things are just not quite right and when your religion has become more of just a ritual than the real thing, when it's more of a pattern that you're just going through than the power of the Spirit in your life. This is for you today. Sometimes we go through the pattern, but without the power. Sometimes we have the structure, but without the Spirit. Paul talks about having a form of godliness, but without the power of God's Spirit. We need to come back to Jesus and knock on the door and say, Jesus, I need some help. There's something that I don't have that you've got. I've got a problem here, and the problem is this. The second part of this is that man is a sinner. Men and women are sinners. People are sinners. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's saying all of us. Now, what story could I tell you about myself right now? Oh, there's a few. Okay, something recent. I find myself, so I have four children. I find my children sometimes can bring out the best in me. You know, my frustration sometimes or my temper, maybe. Um, You see, I'm outnumbered in my house. I have four kids. Chloe's married and moved next door, but I had four kids growing, all growing up around me. On top of that, I'm... uh, doubly outnumbered because three of them are females. (laughs) So it can be really tough when they gang up on me, right? Is anyone starting to feel sorry for me yet or not? I'm trying to justify what I'm about to tell you, okay? (laughs) No, my kids don't gang up on me at all. Anyway, 
I want you to come on a story with me. We're, we live on acreage. We've got tank water. We don't have town water, so we're on tank water. And I was just thinking the other day about how sometimes our showers are starting to get a little bit longer than they should be. And, and uh, so I'm lis- listening to the shower going down that end of the house, and the girls' end, that is. And, uh, and I'm like, I yell out, you know, I get frustrated. The tanks are being emptied. And, and uh, the girls, the showers are too long. Get out, get out, you know. Turns from frustration to temper sometimes. I just want you to know that secretly I love a long shower too. So, yes, I'm a hypocrite as well, all right? So I'm dealing with frustration and anger and I'm dealing with hypocrisy right there. See, I'm a sinner too. And we have a couple of showers going at the same time sometimes. makes it even worse. And so sometimes I just feel justified and yelling out and even with anger and I bang on a door and all that kind of thing sometimes. And I remember an occasion when my kids were really little, actually, um, and, um, and the kids were meant to be in bed and I'm yelling out, get to bed, get to bed. Why? Because I was watching the tennis. I didn't want to be interrupted, right? I love Australian Open's only on once a year and I get to sit back and enjoy. Well, instead of giving the kids the love that they deserve, it's probably just a cuddle and a kiss that they needed. You know, I had an angry spirit. I can remember that and how that could crush their spirit too. And so while I watched the tennis then, of course, I'm feeling completely miserable because I know in my heart that I'd done the wrong thing toward them because I crushed their heart. I didn't act in love. And the attitude in my heart was wrong and not what they deserved. And I have to admit to you, that was me and a few examples that I go through. Could that be you too? And how do you deal with these things? It happens to all of us because we're all human and the scripture says what? Let's read it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glorious standards of God. Um, It says, all have come short of God's standards. By nature, we are unclean people. By nature, we get stressed out. Um, By nature, we do all kinds of things. And we constantly need our sinful lives washed clean by the cleansing blood of Jesus and be washed by his forgiveness. Can I hear an amen? God is perfectly holy, perfectly holy, which means that he's set apart in his perfection, which means there's no way in my fallenness and my sinfulness that I could ever reach that perfection without some help. I can't get there. It's impossible. I mean, imagine, try and think, how else could I explain it? Maybe like that white wall up there, that white wall that we're surrounded with here. Beautiful, perfect white wall. Just got painted recently. So there's probably no blemishes on there just yet. And if we think about that, what would one little mark, one little tiny black mark on that wall would mean it would be no longer perfect. This huge wall with one little tiny black mark would mean that white wall is no longer perfect. It's not holy like God anymore. One little blemish for all have sinned and fallen short of the glorious standard of God and his holiness. And it may seem like an insignificant thing to you. Maybe that yelling out to the kids, oh, yeah, get out, whatever. Maybe it's insignificant to you just as a one-off. But it seems like nothing to us. But you know what? It's just like that little black mark on that completely white wall that's ruined it for us. Maybe it's because it feels insignificant is because maybe I've hardened my heart to God. Maybe I've actually hardened my heart and I don't think it's significant anymore. One little sin. 
In God's eyes, church, sin is sin. There's either a black mark there or it's holy, holiness. Sin is sin. And the sin might seem like nothing. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever stolen anything? Maybe a paperclip from work? If you have, then you're a thief. Do you need God's grace right now? Yes or yes? It seems insignificant. It seems like nothing. And you say, well, it's not really stealing. Yes, it is. Hands up if you've ever told a lie. If you haven't got your hand up right now, you're lying. (laughs) Come on. No matter how perfect we think we are, we all have little black marks on our hearts, on our life, and those little black marks are imperfections. They're actually sin. In fact, we have a sinful nature from birth, which is why we need a redeemer to redeem us and save us. It's our sin that actually separated us from God. 1 John 1.9 says, If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. The great thing is that God has shown us how to deal with our sin as well. I love that. How? Not by anything we can do, but by everything he has done. It's called grace. There's this beautiful word. We struggle to define it, really. I'm going to try my best, and it comes. It's called God's grace. God has rescued us from our black marks, from our sin. God is constantly washing us of our sins and cleansing out those waters that we need, that water to wash us clean with his undeserved favour. We don't deserve it at all, but he's poured it out upon us to clean us of our sins from past the present, and the future. It's called God's grace. And that is true of everybody here. No matter what you've done, God can wash it away and make the wall white again. Justice would be to get what we deserve when we've done the wrong things, but Jesus took that upon his shoulders and that was beauty of what he did on the cross. Mercy is not getting what we deserve, when we all deserve spiritual eternal separation from God is what we deserve. God had mercy on us that we didn't get what we would deserve and live in eternal judgment. But Jesus too, Jesus took our place. Like in the courtroom, when we're being judged, he stood in between and took the, took the blame. He took the punishment for our sins. That's God's grace. That's God's mercy. Grace is getting what we deserve. Grace is not getting what we deserve. God has gifted us his son, Jesus Christ. Grace is a free gift. He's giving us something we don't deserve. None of us do. And it was in his blood that was shed on a cross to wash away our sins that we can be redeemed and we can be saved. Remember the white wall illustration God can wash it away and make the wall completely white again. And it's not like a painter just painting over it. The Bible says that God removes those sins. He removes our sins. He doesn't just cover over them like a blood sacrifice in the Old Testament we read about. It's the New Testament covenant. Jesus is the new 
Lamb of the real Lamb of God. He is the Lamb that washed away and, and heals us and forgives us completely of our sins if we trust Him in this way. Remember the verse in Psalm 51 7 says, Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. You never grow to perfection with Jesus. It's impossible. You cannot become perfect and deal with those black marks on your own. You will never outgrow the need to be washed daily by Jesus' grace and mercy, his love, his forgiveness. That's why Jesus died for us. There's no exceptions to this, by the way. No other religion will deal with your sin problem the way God deals with our sin problem. I want to explain why you desperately need Jesus and his gift of grace. It's this. The consequences of sin and God's remedy for it. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, what we've earned for being a sinner, what we've earned for our sins is spiritual death. It's death. There are some terrible consequences for our sins. It affects everyone around us. You know, every action has an Equal reaction, in a sense. That's a kind of opposite reaction. Well, I don't think that that's actually true when it comes to our reaction for our sins. I think there's a far greater problem that we've created when we sin. We think our little black blemish or the mark on the wall is nothing. So you'd kind of expect the equal or opposite reaction to when you do this. Oh, it'll just have a little reaction. But the Bible says that our sin, that little black mark, that imperfection, that's created this huge chasm between us and God. Spiritual death, it says. The wages of our sin is death. That's a huge problem. And what I've earned, or the wages for my sin, is just simply this. It's separation from God. It's living in an eternal life without the presence of God in my life. Death, physical death, spiritual death, eternal death, separation from God. Before I came to God, church, I was dead, spiritually dead. That's why this world is in such a mess. It's dead. Most people are alive in the world, but they're physically, they're dying. Spiritually, they're dying. They are dead, and eternally, they are separated from God in spiritual death. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, but this is not God's plan or desire for his precious creation, his kids. The gift of God is, what church? Eternal life. God is not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Okay, enough of the problem. Let's focus on the solution. Sound good? But you can't know how important the solution is to understand the extent of the problem, I think. So, the, the solution is this. We need to be what? Born again. Back to Nicodemus. This is the foundation. This is the foundation. I want to make sure today that you've all got that sure foundation and dealt with the problem before we move forward. Today we're talking about stepping into the light. I want to make sure today that you all have a sure foundation because I want us to understand what it means to be living in the light. The next couple of weeks we'll flesh that out more. But let me teach you what the Bible says you need to do to receive that gift of grace. As simply as I can put it. This is not about religion. This is about a relationship with God. It's about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. So like in any relationship, it needs to be fixed. 
There's something we need to do. And you say, oh, but you said you didn't need to do anything to receive God's. Well, yes, there's something to do. You have to receive the gift. That's what you need to do. You don't need to work for the gift. You don't need to earn the gift. It's a free gift, but you need to receive the gift. True? God freely loves us, and that's his grace, but we need to actually respond to it and fix the relationship. Jesus done, God has done everything to fix the relationship, and now it's our turn to respond and fix the relationship. Like in any relationship, we all have to play our part. So here's the solution. Number one is confess. Everyone say confess. It says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Note the word if. If we confess our sins. In other words, there's this something we need to do here. There's an action that we need to take. Sometimes we go on in our sin and our sin and we never confess. And we say, oh, I believe in Jesus, but we never confessed our sins. We never realized what we did with the little black marks on the wall. It's important, you know, when you've offended someone, that you seek reconciliation. It's important that you confess that I've hurt you. Confess I've done the wrong thing to them. Have that humility and come to God and confess your sins. In James 5, we, read, we talked about this a few weeks back. We are talking about the power of prayer. It says when you confess your sins to one another, you will be healed. There's this attitude of confession of our sins that really helps set us free. And so it's important that we confess and acknowledge that, um, our sin against him. Number two is to repent. Everyone say, repent. Confess, repent. It says in Acts 3.18, repent then and turn to God. Note the word turn. Turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Now this is really talking about having a change of mind. It's talking about having a change of on your focus and attitude towards God, towards Christ. It's saying you need to turn to God. It's a complete turnaround from running towards or away from God to running towards God. It's saying I was walking in my sin, now I'm going to walk in his holiness. The scripture says be holy because I am holy. This is turning around from the darkness and moving and stepping into his marvelous light. Turn around. That's repentance. That's what it means. Turn around. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Isn't that beautiful? Picture the painter with his roller painter, just wiping it out. Any blemish, it's gone. It's perfect. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Isn't that the new thing on TikTok, apparently? My kids are... All right. Number three. Believe... We have confess and repent. Say that with me. Confess, confess, repent, and believe. The scripture says in John 3, 3, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Now, what does it mean to believe? That's a pretty big word there to think about. To me, the word believe means that we need to live in him. It's not just, you know, even the demons believe in Jesus. Even the demons believe in God, but they're not saved. So there must be something more to just confessing that, you know, there's something different about believing to get this. Whoever believes in the Son. I think it's all about living in him. Living in him. Whoever believes, it means to live in him. Not just to confess it with my mouth or know that it's true, 
but to believe is to live in him. It means to actively know Christ. Um, in 1 John 2, 4, it says, whoever, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, say that with me, obeys his word, loves, uh, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So believing in him is living in him and obeying his word. It's to say, I'm going to have a new way of living. That's what it means. And then it's Paul was great. Uh, Paul says in Philippians 3.10, he said his heart attitude was, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. You see, grace is free. Your forgiveness is free. Confess, repent. But to believe is going to cost you something. When you're living in him, you're going to have to surrender everything because it says the power of the resurrection, participation of your sufferings. We all want the power of the resurrection, amen? But do we want the participation of the sufferings and becoming like him in his death? Sometimes we might balk at that bit because we know it's going to cost us everything. But a real relationship with God like Paul had is this attitude that says, I want to know Christ. Yes. Isn't that powerful? Say it with me, church. I want to know Christ. Yes. That was Paul. That was Paul. A real relationship with him. To believe in Christ. To live in Christ. To know his power and resurrection. To know his sufferings and participate in that. And then finally it comes down to one last thing you need to do to receive him into your life is to do this, is to receive him, to welcome him, to open your heart and receive. It says in John 1.12, it says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave the right. You have rights as a child of God. It's no longer I who lives now, it's I live in Christ. I'm a child of God. I have a new identity in him. I can give you a gift today, by the way. But until you reach out and take it from me, you have not received that gift. I could have gone and spent thousands of dollars on a beautiful gift and wrapped it up and got it all ready and want to hand it to you and it's there right on a silver platter for you. But until you reach out and take that gift, even though it's there for you, even though it's got your name on it, I can hold it out to you and, you know, it cost me so much to give it to you. But until you take it, you have not received it. If you have not received it, you have not stepped out of darkness and into his marvellous light. Jesus told Nicodemus that he needed to take the gift and be born again, born of water, born of the Spirit. To be born of the Spirit is not just to have a religious high and say, oh, I got my spiritual fix today. I have my spine tingles and goosebumps today at church. Had a couple of tears coming from the beautiful music. To be born of the Spirit is not a religious high. It's, 
like having spiritual champagne or something. We all know we had the, the beautiful champagne, but if you leave it till the next day and have a drink, you know it's flat. The spiritual high today could be spiritually flat tomorrow. Why is that? You know, yesterday's religious experiences are not the same experiences for tomorrow. So then what does it mean to be born of the Spirit? To be born of the Spirit means to have the Spirit of Jesus Christ alive inside of me. It means that God's gracious love has come and is living in my heart because I've received it. I've received the gift and he lives with me day by day and moment by moment and second by second. I'm in the power of his Spirit now. I'm full of his Holy Spirit now at this moment. Are you? And what is this gracious love of Christ that comes and lives in our heart? It's a way of loving. It's a way of forgiving. It's a way of caring. Gracious love that has now filled my heart and then loving another person, even in their sinfulness, even when they've sinned against me, even when they've hurt me and made me suffer. If that's his grace coming in me and then extending through me. Gracious love and loving other people, just like God did for us when he was on the cross. You know that person that's hurting you right now, that person has fallen so far short of the glorious standard of God, there's a black mark on their wall too. And just as God has forgiven them, I need to forgive that person. That is grace. The grace that was extended to me, I extend to those in my life. That's love. That's gracious love. And that is what the Spirit of God can enable you to do when he lives in and through us. That's what it means to start living in the light. Next week, we're going to start fleshing this out more and looking at what it really means to live in the light on a day-by-day and moment-by-moment and second-by-second kind of way. But as we finish up here, I want to remind you that Jesus Christ is standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking right now. Here I am. Close your eyes, church. Listen. Here I am. I stand at the door and I'm knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens up the door, I will come in and I will eat with him and he with me. You can open your eyes, just like Nicodemus did. If you were to come to that point in your life where you would say, God, I'm going through the motions. I don't have that inner motivation anymore. I have the patterns of religion in my life, but I don't have the power of your spirit that Troy's talking about today. I have the rituals of faith, but I don't have the real thing happening in my life. I have, the, I have this spiritual dryness in my life. I have this God void in my heart. If you ever come to that point in your relationship with God, whether you're 15 or 25 or 35 or 55 or 85, there's something wrong in your life. One night you may come up and come home and you come to the house of Jesus and you just knock on his door like Nicodemus. Jesus, things aren't right in here. Things aren't right in my heart. 
And Jesus would say, I know. It happens to everyone. For all have sinned and fallen short of my glory. You say, you need to be born again. You need to experience a rebirth. You need to be born of water, washed clean. You be born of the Spirit and filled up. Remember this. He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. And the fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. I want you today to make him your sure foundation. You need to step out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I might invite the worship team to come at this time and Tim's going to come in a moment as well, lead us in communion. What better way to have communion today than to be reminded of the gospel? So I want to encourage you the next couple of weeks, please come back. We're going to keep going deeper into what it means to walk in the light. Today is all about stepping in the light. If you'd like to step into the light today, I want to encourage you as we pray. Let's close our eyes in prayer now. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know that I'm a sinner. I want to turn from my sins. I want to repent. I believe you died for me. I do believe it. And I want to live in you, not just for you and with an acknowledgement of who you are or an awareness of who you are. Or I don't want to live like that. I believe in you. I want to have the power of your resurrection. I want to have the fellowship of your sufferings. I want to be like Christ. I want to know you. Yes. I want to know you. Yes. I believe that you will forgive me, Lord, as I receive you into my heart. I receive you into my life. I thank you for the blood of Jesus that was shed on a cross, the most incredible gift of your grace. Thank you that it's free. But Lord, help me see how deep it goes, that it will cost me everything to receive it and to live fully devoted to you. God, you didn't call us to half-heartedness. You didn't call us to be lukewarm. You don't want us to sit on the fence. You want us to be on fire for you. You want us to be full of your spirit. So, Lord, I pray you will fill me with your spirit right now. Fill me with your spirit as I surrender my heart to you. And I love you. And I worship you. Thank you, Jesus.